You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Welcome Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet oh, is on the phone. Here's the podcast. It's the Outdoor Sports Podcast. Yeah. It is oh, Wednesday, so March 9th. 2022 people i hope everybody's doing well hope everybody's having a great day hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the aaron torres sports podcast really fun episode today i think you guys and girls will enjoy it i know you guys and girls will enjoy it so we will start the show uh i i i should even preface on the back end this is one of my favorite episodes because it's one of my favorite weeks of the year Conference tournaments are here, and over the final probably 30 or so minutes, I will go conference by conference, league by league, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Big East, whatever, Pac-12, and tell you what you need to know about all these conference tournaments that are coming up here over the next couple days. It is my favorite time of year, Uh, but before we get to that, there are a couple topics that I do want to hit on just very briefly off the top because they are very interesting. Russell Wilson getting traded to the Denver Broncos, how about that? Don't talk a ton of NFL, but when one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL gets traded, you know your boy Torres is going to talk about it. From there, we will talk this Calvin Ridley story, just bananas, just insane, one of the crazier stories that I can ever remember, and it is, the conversation around it is so dumb that I would be remiss if I didn't briefly talk about that, and then it's kind of the exact opposite. There was a a quote-unquote update on the LSU basketball probe, the one that's been going on five years, FBI, strong-ass offer, all that stuff. We sort of got an update on Tuesday, but not really, so I'll get you updated on that. Those three topics, Russell Wilson, Calvin Ridley, and LSU, and then we will get to conference tournament preview stuff. Before we get to all that, though, I want to I bring back one of our favorite sponsors. So March Madness is here, and it's time for you and your friends, and some enemies too, to fill out an NCAA tournament bracket. Last year, I told you there was a new and better website for March Madness called Bracket Fanatics. I used them. We ran the Aaron Torres podcast pool through there. Well, they are back better than ever and ready to provide you a bracket experience unlike any other BracketFanatics.com. Bracket Fanatics is similar to Yahoo and ESPN in that players can invite friends and make their selections for the tournament, but here's what makes Bracket Fanatics different. First of all, they take out all the hard parts of running a bracket. When you start your pool, you set your pool entry fee and payouts. Everybody that joins your bracket can then pay pool entry fees from the website. 
Once March Madness ends, Bracket Fanatics automatically sends pool payouts to the winners for you. No chasing down Doris from accounting for her final $10 so you can pay everything out. It's all done at BracketFanatics.com. If you, if you do decide that you want to collect and distribute the pool payout yourself, you can as well. But it's there for you. Does all the hard work for you. You don't have to track people down. You don't have to collect money. None of that stuff. Everybody registers if you charge for your pool. Use BracketFanatics.com. Everybody signs up there. Everybody pays there. Distribution's done for you. Here's the, the, the even cooler part, though. You can make side bets with your friends and family all tournament long, all through BracketFanatics.com. Even if your bracket is busted in the first weekend, who cares? You can send and accept bets on any game in the tournament with every player in your bracket. Make it all back and more with all the important bragging rights with individual bets at BracketFanatics.com. I should mention, by the way, the Aaron Torres Pod Bracket Challenge is up and available. I will be running my personal bracket at bracketfanatics.com nowhere else no other competitor that's where I go it is free to enter I will put a link in the show description so if you download this episode you click right through but then what I need you to go to do is go to bracketfanatics.com and run your pool through there as well whether you're in a big money bracket or just playing for bragging rights bracket fanatics is the ability to make side bets the best March Madness experience you and your March Madness friends can have Make sure to check out more at BracketFanatics.com and start your bracket today. Yes, you can sign up for your own brackets there. You can join the Aaron Torres Pod Bracket Challenge all at BracketFanatics.com. Should mention, by the way, first place, $500 Buffalo Wild Wings gift card, BracketFanatics.com. I will send you the link. Make sure you're using them as well. So thank you again, Bracket Fanatics, BracketFanatics.com. Really excited to work with them all March long. Think it'll be really fun. The Aaron Torres Podcast Bracket Challenge. You'll be able to sign up. Click the link in the show description here. Really fun time coming up March. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, let me say this. The topic of the day, if you had asked me, I don't know, Sunday night when I published the last episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Monday morning, maybe even Monday afternoon, Torres, what are you talking about on Wednesday's show? My answer would have been very clear. It's conference championship week. It's my favorite time of the year. We are previewing conference championships till hell or high water. We are not doing anything else. Then the NFL kind of was like, no, 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 no. Torres, you go sit your butt in the corner. You go take your little college hoop sets you love so much in the corner. We're going to take over this news cycle here for the next 24 hours. So what I want to say is this. I love college basketball as much as anybody. But this isn't the Aaron Torres college basketball show. This is the Aaron Torres podcast. And because of it, I would be remiss if I didn't at least address a couple of these NFL topics right off the top. So let's start because, as I said, Tuesday, I think you could argue one of the biggest days in the history of the NFL from transactional news. Obviously, the first one came early. Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers. He's been there forever since, what, 2005? Drafted out of Cal, sat behind Brett Favre. We think he might finally leave this offseason. Boom. Nope. Brett Favre. Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay. Brett Favre. I don't know what Brett Favre is doing. It feels like he's probably driving a John Deere tractor somewhere right now. But Aaron Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay. What I would say is, I don't think there's all that really interesting to it. Do I think he loves the organization? No, I don't think he does. Do I think the organization loves him? No, I don't think they do. But sometimes in life and in football and in sports, an organization and a player don't have to like each other to know that they are the best fit for each other. The Green Bay Packers cannot do better than Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers, I do not believe that there was a better fit for him 
than the Green Bay Packers. And so if it was only about Aaron Rodgers, I probably wouldn't have talked about it on the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. But the reason I'm talking about it is because did you notice how, oh, I don't know, like an hour after the Aaron Rodgers news broke, boom, out of nowhere, Russell Wilson. We knew he was unhappy, but even like a week ago, Pete Carroll's like, we're not trading him. Uh, apparently are, Pete Carroll, because on Tuesday afternoon, Russell Wilson is traded to the Denver Broncos in one of the biggest I would say NFL stories of, I don't know, the last 10, 15, 20 years. It's just not that often that a star quarterback in his prime gets traded. And so let's talk about it a little bit. First of all, what I would say is this. I don't think the timing of these two things happening at a near identical time is a coincidence, okay? Let's just look at the the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos, believe it or not, they're really probably one of the most storied organizations in the history of the NFL. But I think what we can all agree is it hasn't exactly been smooth sailing since Peyton Manning left. Peyton Manning has four years in Denver, 12-3 division title, lost in the divisional round, 12-3 in year two, wins the division, loses in the Super Bowl, 12-4 in year three, wins the division, loses in the divisional round, and then 12-4 in year four. And he wins the Super Bowl and he rides off into the sunset as a hero and he says in his closing press conference, yeah, I'm going to go drink me a Bud Light and chill out. And so Peyton Manning obviously brought this organization to heights, but he retired in 2015. And here is what the Denver Broncos have been since. 9-7, and 5-11, 6-10, 7-9, 5-11, 7-10. They've had guys like Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterback. I think Teddy Bridgewater is fine. I don't think he can win a Super Bowl with him. They had Paxton Lynch for a minute. They had Drew Locke for a minute. And so I believe that the, the Denver Broncos, who of course also fired their head coach, Vic Fangio, and hired Nathaniel Hackett, the former uh, guy from the Green Bay Packers, I believe they went into this offseason saying, we have to get a real quarterback. Now, how far down the road did they get with Aaron Rodgers? Was there any realistic chance that Aaron Rodgers was going to come? I think it was probably at least possible if you break down the timing of it, right? Because if you just think about it at its most basic level, Nathaniel Hackett comes from the Green Bay Packers. Nathaniel Hackett, there was rumors the reason the the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett was because of his relationship with Aaron Rodgers. Well, Aaron Rodgers on Tuesday morning says, I'm staying in Green Bay, and four hours later, three hours later, Russell Wilson gets traded to Denver. So do I think that they were directly correlated? No. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but what I do think is the Denver Broncos probably have had communications over the last month with with the Seattle Seahawks. They've said, look, we got to go down this Aaron Rodgers road. Nathaniel has a relationship with him. It's out of respect to that relationship, but we're still really interested in Russ. Russ, by the way, would you accept a trade to the Denver Broncos? Russell Wilson says yes. They're like, okay, we'll get back to you. We're going to figure this thing all out. Then Tuesday morning hits. Aaron Rodgers signs with Green Bay, long-term extension. And the Denver Broncos are like, crap, we got to get this deal done. How many picks do you want? How many players do you want? You need Drew Locke in there too? Okay, done. And so I don't know if, if, if all of it worked exactly like that, but to me, the timing was too coincidental to be actually coincidental. So let's get into the trade now, because to me, that's kind of where it gets interesting, right? And to me, I'll be blunt. I think, you know, it goes without saying that I do think that the trade makes perfect sense for the Denver Broncos. I just listed off their last what is it, seven years since Peyton Manning retired, third in the division, nine and seven, 
fourth in the division, five and eleven, third in the division, six and ten, second in the division, seven and nine, five and eleven, seven and ten over the last two years. So I get why Denver decided to make a trade, and I get why they went and got Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson is one of the top five players in the league. Top five quarterbacks in the league when he's fully healthy. He wasn't fully healthy last year. He missed a bunch of time for the first time in his career. But he's a really, really good quarterback. What I think is much more interesting, though, is a conversation about Russell Wilson. And why exactly did Russell Wilson accept a trade to Denver? Because here's the thing. I think most of you probably know, but for those of you who don't, Russell Wilson has a full no trade clause. He is one of the few players in the NFL that can just say no. Somebody, you want to send me here? No. You want to send me there? No. You want to send me there? I'll think about it. You want to send me there? I'll go. And so before anything got done, Russell Wilson had to rubber stamp this deal. And I'll be honest, I don't get it. Now, on the one hand, I understand he didn't want to go back to Seattle. It's been bad there two or three years. Feels like he's been with Pete Carroll for a decade. It feels like the relationship just ran its course. That happens sometimes. It's part of the deal. Uh, It's clear the organization as a whole is regressing. He got banged up. And they've had issues, right? Two years ago, there was a story about him storming out of a pre, pre-game meeting because he didn't like some of the play calls, blah, 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 this and that. This year, he gets hurt. The team falls apart without him. And it's clearly a sinking ship. So I understand why Russell Wilson wanted to get traded. What I don't understand, though, is why Denver? Like, even with the Aaron Rodgers stuff, I was like, why? De- like, what, what is the obsession with Denver? I understand that, you know, they have some decent young talent on the roster. I'm not going to argue that. But at the same time, is it is it that talent? Is it that talented? I mean, Cortland Sutton, that's who you're demanding a trade from. Jerry Judy, that's the guy that you you're hitching your career, the second half of your career on. Well, that's the guy that's going to put me back over the top. Jerry Judy, going to get me to a Super Bowl because I don't really see him being the guy. Melvin Gordon, good running back. Is he great? Is he significantly better than what you had in Seattle? I don't know. Tim Patrick, fifty three catches, whatever. And so that was the part that kind of blew my mind. Russell Wilson can go anywhere. Russell Wilson can say no to anything. And he has convinced himself, and I think a lot of people in the media have convinced themselves too, that Denver has this treasure trove of young talent. This isn't what Tom Brady walked into in Tampa. This isn't what Matthew Stafford walked into this year and then further acquired in Los Angeles. This is like a fine core but it's not like an unbelievable court. And then on top of that, here's the part that blows my mind as far as why would Russell Wilson want to go to Denver? Uh, have you seen that division? Have you seen that division? Because that division now, and I understand Russell Wilson was probably in the best division in football before. San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay. Arizona Cardinals don't really care much for Cliff Kingsbury, but Kyler Murray, when he's happy, he's pretty good. That was the best division of football that Russell Wilson just left. Now he's going into the best division in the best conference that I can ever remember for quarterbacks. Just think about just the division. So first of all, just the division. Six times a year to win the division, to be the best team just in your division, you got to play Patrick Mahomes twice. You got to play Justin Herbert twice. You got to play Derek Carr twice. Not exactly easy. Chiefs obviously made an AFC championship game. Raiders made the playoffs. Chargers were the first team out of the playoffs. And if that final game of the regular season had gone a different way, the all three teams, the Chargers, Raiders, and Chiefs could have made the playoffs. Beyond that, have you seen the rest of the conference? Josh Allen in Buffalo. Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. 
you know, you go on and on down the list. There are teams all over this conference. And so to me, that's the confusing part of this. I get why the Broncos did it because he they didn't have one of those dudes. I get why Russell Wilson wanted out of Seattle. I just don't understand Denver. And think about Russell Wilson. You can pretty much go anywhere. So there's been a rumor forever that Russell Wilson was interested in the New York Giants, right? And part of it's a branding thing, and Ciara is his wife, and she wants to be in New York, and there's all these opportunities, and you can meet with CEOs and all this kind of stuff. And there's been a lot of buzz around the New York football Giants for a long time with Russell Wilson. And I'll be honest, if I was Russell Wilson, I think that'd be the move that I would want to make. Because yes, the Giants are probably further from actually competing, but at the same time, You know who you're not competing against when you're with the New York Giants? You're not competing against Josh Allen to go to a Super Bowl. You're not competing against Joe Burrow to go to a Super Bowl. You're not competing with Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, and Derek Carr just in your division six times per year. And so to me, when I sit there and I look at Russell Wilson and I say, if you've determined that it can't get done in Seattle, okay, that's your prerogative. I get it. You've been there a decade. It's run its course. It's time to move on. What gives you a better chance to make a Super Bowl in like the next 10 years? Because to me, I'll just be blunt. I watch those NFL playoffs like you did. There's a lot of talent in the AFC. But who's left in the NFC? Just told you AFC. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr. Lamar Jackson, who I haven't even mentioned. In the NFC? Well, let's think about it. Tom Brady. Oh, he's retired. Tampa Bay is going to be a mess again. New Orleans. Oh, well, oh, Drew Brees retired. Sean Payton retired. Where else? What else am I missing? Who else am I missing? I know Green Bay just came, uh, just got Aaron Rodgers back, but guess what? Aaron Rodgers hasn't been to a Super Bowl in a decade. I know uh, Arizona has the Kyler Murray deal, but Kyler Murray hasn't won a playoff game in his career. So really, when you look at the NFC, it's an Aaron Rodgers who hasn't made a Super Bowl in a decade. It's a Dallas which can't get out of its own way. And it is... Obviously, the last team that I mentioned, the Los Angeles Rams, who are maybe now finally starting to figure it out. So I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm not going to go on. I actually do want to get to the uh, Calvin Ridley deal because I think it's fascinating. But Russell Wilson is a member of the Denver Broncos, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it. All right, let's switch gears. Let's, let's very quickly stay in the NFL. And I wasn't planning on doing so much NFL, but listen, a couple things. One, when one of the five best quarterbacks arguably on the planet when he's healthy, and I think Russell Wilson is that... When that dude gets traded, oh, we're talking about it on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Like I said, this isn't the Aaron Torres College Basketball Podcast. This is the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So that's one. But then two, what I would also say is beyond the Russell Wilson stuff, I think we actually had a more interesting topic. One of the most interesting stories that I can ever remember in recent sports history. We talked Russell Wilson. That's the biggest story. To me, the most interesting story, though, the most interesting story, that comes with this Calvin Ridley deal. And I'm sure by now most of you know all the details and most of you know the story, but really quickly, Calvin Ridley, wide receiver, Atlanta Falcons, played at Alabama, really, really, really talented player, former first-round pick, top-ten pick. Calvin Ridley got himself into some big, big, big trouble this week because it was discovered that Calvin Ridley bet on an Atlanta Falcons game through an online sports book. It wasn't much, just $1,500, but at the same time, He broke one of the cardinal rules of sports. We're going to get into the rules and all that stuff in a minute. And he bet on his own games, and he got caught, and he ain't going to be playing football for a long time. 
on Tuesday afternoon, NFL Monday afternoon, excuse me, NFL announces he is suspended for at least this coming season, the 2022 season. And the key word there is at least. The key phrase there is at least. I think there's a real possibility that Calvin Ridley may never play in the NFL again. This is a banana story. And what I would say is before I get to my opinion, I saw some really bad takes on this, okay? I try not to criticize other people's opinions. We all have opinions. But any opinion that starts with, you should be able to bet on your own games if, it's just a dumb opinion. I, I saw that you should be able to bet on your games, period. You should be able to bet on your games if you pick your team to win. You should, whatever. Then I saw the other ones of, well, how does he get a year when this guy got this for this crime? Can we just stop with all that? So a lot of terrible Calvin Ridley takes. I'm going to give you a good one. Let's get into it. Let's discuss it. What I would say just in general with all this Calvin Ridley stuff and really just these, these controversial kind of off-the-field sports topics, I think most of you guys and girls have been listening to this show long enough know, like I generally am, I think, pretty sympathetic to people. You do something stupid, you make a mistake, you deserve a second chance. And so in Calvin Ridley's case, I do hope that he does get to play NFL football again because if you look at it, $1,500, it doesn't feel as though he was making this bet, placing this bet to get rich as much as he just was looking to do something to pass time during, I think he was injured at the time. So I feel bad, and I do hope that he doesn't get suspended essentially for his career. It does not appear as though right now that he will be. But what I would also say is this. Calvin Ridley is one of the few people that is in serious, serious trouble that I have absolutely zero sympathy for. Absolutely zero sympathy for, and it's for one simple reason. The reason I have no sympathy for Calvin Ridley, it's pretty straightforward, right? Professional athletes. You know, you know that like, you know, the stars are just like us, you know, they take out the trash. Professional athletes are nothing like us, okay? I think that's from Us Weekly or whatever. Stars are just like us. Well, I'll tell you, professional athletes are nothing like us. And that's a good thing, good for them. This isn't a jealousy thing, this isn't an anger thing, whatever. But these guys, and some girls too, they've been touched by God. They're just bigger, faster, stronger. They're just born differently than the rest of us. And with that, comes a lot of great opportunity. First of all, there are professional athletes. Like Zion Williamson is probably going to make more money by the time he's 25 than basically anybody listening to this podcast maybe will make in their entire lives. I mean, we're talking about a $100 million sneaker contract, a big you know, NBA contract, other endorsements, all that good stuff. So you get access to insane, life-changing wealth. Good for you. I'm not criticizing. I'm not jealous of Zion Williamson. He's earned what he's gotten. Beyond that, you get access to, to, to things that you and I can't even imagine. Best hotels, best cars, best food, best trainers, best chefs, best tutors when you're in college, uh, most beautiful women or men, depending on what you're into. You get access to a lot of great stuff if you're a professional athlete, okay? And so what does this have to do with Calvin Ridley? It's that essentially you get access to all this stuff with kind of a little bit of a caveat. And that caveat is you really only have to not break two rules, but there are two rules. There are two rules to being a professional athlete. Everybody's got rules. You got rules at your job. You got rules for your kids. You got rules for whatever. And there's really only two jobs. And this is why I don't feel bad. Uh, this is why I don't feel sympathy for Calvin Ridley. Because really, when you're an NFL athlete, when you're a professional athlete, there are really only two rules that you have to abide by in society. Don't do something that is so stupid that you're going to end up in jail, right? Like you can do dumb stuff. Just make sure that you're not going to jail. You could smoke weed if you want. Just don't bring a car full of it across the border for Mexico. Um, 
you know, I hate to be crass here, but I'm going to bring up a touchy subject. You can drink, can have fun, can go to the club, can go to the strip club. Just don't be Henry Ruggs and get behind the wheel. Don't be Henry Ruggs and put other people's lives at risk, and you're making millions of dollars. And that's really the first rule. Just don't do something so stupid that you go to jail. And by the way, even when these guys go to jail, it's like the second they get out, they're good. Michael Vick goes to jail for a full year. Federal prison. Gets signed the next week. Kareem Hunt, he didn't even go to jail, like I said. Gets caught, you know, physically assaulting a woman on video. Gets signed the next week after he gets cut by the Chiefs. So really, there are two rules. One, don't do something so stupid that you end up in jail. And the other one is, you cannot bet on your own games. That's been the case probably since before all of us were born, since sports gambling became a thing, since professional sports became a thing. Everybody knows about Pete Rose. That thing's been going on for 40 years. He's still trying to get reinstated. MLB saying no. And I know for a fact these young athletes are taught you cannot bet on your own games. And oh, by the way, you know what we found out on Tuesday after all this came out? The NFL policy is actually these guys can, perfect, can bet on other stuff. So if he went on that app and he just bet on horse racing or tennis or golf or NBA basketball or Major League Baseball, he would have been fine. But you cannot bet on your own sport. And that's why I have zero sympathy. You have two rules. Don't do something so dumb where you get arrested and you're in jail and you can't do your job. And don't bet on your own game. Of course, when I say that, everybody's like, oh, what's so bad about betting on your own games? Well, yes, I don't think that betting $1,500 is some kind of proof that he had top secret information that he had to rush to his app and make a bet, right? But it does still, whenever a player is betting on his own team, it does give off the impression that they have some kind of inside information, or at least that they could. Not that he did, but that he could. That somebody's going to be hurt, that somebody's not going to play, that the quarterbacks look bad in practice. Maybe it meant nothing. Maybe it was a total coincidence. But the idea that it could even be out there, that somebody has access to some kind of information that the general public does not, that is why, in a nutshell, professional athletes cannot bet on their own team because it gives off the perception, it gives off the perception that maybe you have some kind of information that other people don't. Now, $1,500, not a huge deal. But the question then becomes, well, what's, what, what does become a big deal? You say, oh, it's only $1,500. What if it was $15,000? What if it was $150,000? Does that give you the impression if he bet $150,000 on a random Falcons game, does that give you the impression? Is he just blowing off steam then? Or is it that, oh, by the way, he probably has some inside information. He's trying to make some real money here. Is it a million dollars? Like, what does he have to bet where you feel like, okay, there's probably something a little sketchy going on here, and that's the kind of conundrum that the NFL doesn't want to get into. They don't ever want to give off the impression that anybody, but especially one of their own players, has access to information that other people don't have. Imagine if he bets $150,000 on the Falcons. It's only $1,500. Imagine if he wins that bet and you're on the other side of the bet. You don't think, wait a second now, I'm not betting anymore because we got NFL players making all sorts of crazy bets here knowing stuff that we don't know. And so that's why this is such a big deal. We have $2 billion industries at stake here. One is the NFL. The NFL doesn't want any of you thinking that anybody has any inside information that you do not have, right? Because what is always the default whenever anything goes wrong in sports? Oh, that ref must have bet on this team. Oh, that guy, I mean, 
<laughs> that guy, I mean, the ref basically bet on Duke. The, bet, the ref bet on Kansas. And, like, we joke, but sometimes we're not really joking. And imagine if there was actual proof that it could be true. The integrity of the sport would be in question. That's, by the way, why the NBA just basically blackballed Tim, Tim Donaghy a few years ago. They went out of their way to make sure everybody knew this is an isolated incident. It's only him, just him, nothing to see here. And it's the same for the gambling industry, too. So what I would say really quick, and I kind of want to move on. I want to get to some conference championships. But what I would say is, obviously, in my line of work, you meet a lot of people, you talk to people, you have access to some things that are kind of, that other people don't have access to, okay? Not a brag, just a fact. And so about four, five, six years ago, I was in Vegas with a buddy, and a guy of my, a friend of mine that ran a sports book says, come on in the back, we'll show you how stuff gets done. Nothing sketchy, like nothing bad, but I'm not going to name the guy's name, I'm not going to name the sports book, whatever. But he's like, come on in the back, whatever. And you know what it was in the back? I thought I was going to see, I don't know what I thought I was going to see, money falling from the skies. It was a bunch of computers. And it was a bunch of computers where they're monitoring every bet placed everywhere across, I don't know if it's just the city, I don't know if it's the state, I don't know if it's the town, to look for any inconsistencies at all. Take a random game on a Tuesday night. Well, somebody just bet 10 grand on that random college basketball game between two schools you never heard of. Well, there's another $10,000 bet that came in across town an hour later. What is that? that? That's interesting. Let's look into that. Like, there is so much money spent on the integrity of NFL, uh, of sports betting, because they cannot have a leak in the, the, the industry. They cannot have some other you and guys and girls sitting at home believing that somebody has access to information that you don't, and that's what happens when you let people bet on NFL games. And so that's why all these takes that came out over the last couple of days were terrible. And again, I don't try to criticize other people's opinions. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. I get all that. But I saw like smart people, like Emmanuel Acho for Fox. I don't know him. He's a really smart guy, really smart guy. But I saw a video where he said, oh, you know, uh, I mean, you should be allowed to bet as long as it's on your own team. What? No, you shouldn't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to listening to any opinions, but any opinions that start with, you should be allowed to bet if you're an NFL player on NFL games if. There is no scenario. There is just none. There are two rules. Don't go to jail. Don't bet on NFL games. That's literally the only rules. And again, it's for the same reason I said. It's for the idea that the general population, the general consumer, the general better. We start having guys bet on their NFL games, their own games. Think about the chaos that would ensue, right? Let's just use a real quick example. Promise we'll get to Will Wade in conference championships. Joe Burrow, great guy. Not saying he likes to bet. I'm just using him as a hypothetical. Maybe he loves to bet. I don't know. Hopefully not on the NFL. (laughs) Joe Burrow, just really good guy. Let's say that under Emmanuel Acho or whoever, well, he should be allowed to bet on his own team. Well, what does that mean? Is it spread or is it money line? Let's just say it's for the sake money line, which means you're just picking a winner and a loser. Let's say the spread is, say, Cincinnati is a seven-point favorite, okay? Let's talk about that. And let's say Cincinnati is in the fourth quarter playing the game against Pittsburgh or Baltimore or Cleveland or whoever. And in the final quarter, Cincinnati's up seven, or up ten, excuse me, and the spread is seven. They're expected to win by seven. They're up 10, which means that if you bet on Cincinnati, you're going to cover. And let's say Joe Burrow throws an interception, a pick six in the final minute of the game. And that pick six is obviously returned for a touchdown. Cincinnati wins by three. Let's talk about the scenario where Emmanuel Acho says you should be allowed to bet on your own games. So Cincinnati 
Joe Burrow, we find out later, Joe Burrow bet on that game. But because in Emmanuel Acho's world, you could bet on your own games. But they won by three. But it was the, the spread was seven. You don't think it would be a national crisis. You don't think it would be the number one talking point in sports media. If we later found out, well, Joe Burrow made a bet on his team. It was just a bet on his team. Yeah, but they were favored by three. They were favored by seven. They were up by 10. They, lose by, they win by three. Oh, my goodness, that would be huge. So the idea that these guys should be allowed to bet on their own games if they, allow, if they pick them to win is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. And then secondly, what I would also say, beyond that, I saw some of this, how does Ray Rice only get a six-game suspension, but Calvin Ridley gets the whole season? Can we just stop? Can we just stop with any time somebody does something dumb, we try to compare it to something that is also dumb and compare, you know, who got worse punishment? First of all, Ray Rice has not played a game since that video came out. And I'm not making light of it. Not funny. It's not joke to me. But Ray Rice never played in the NFL again. Six-game suspension from the league, but he never played in the NFL again. But beyond that, the idea that because Ray Rice only got this punishment, it must mean this for Calvin Ridley. Stop. Just think about this as an analogy. Talking about gambling, talking about whatever. Let's say I went to Vegas, right? I go to Vegas pretty often. I'm allowed to, by, by the way, by law, by, by rule. Nothing in my contract says I can't throw a few bucks down, baby. Let's say I decide to go. I think I'm at a hot table. I get hot, start winning, and then I start losing. And I start losing again. And I start losing again. And all of a sudden, I look up. It's the end of the night, early morning. Sun's out. I lost $50,000. I can't pay the rent. And I get evicted from my apartment. When I come home to tell my wife, hey, baby, I love you. Um, I just lost $50,000. We can't pay the rent. Do you think the follow-up that I would then have is, yeah, you think that's bad, but hey, at least I didn't cheat on you. Hey, at least I didn't get arrested. No! That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. One has nothing to do with the other. My wife is not going to be any more happy with me that I lost $50,000 betting because, oh, I didn't get arrested. Like, what? That doesn't even make sense. I don't care about Ray Rice. This is the single dumbest thing an athlete has done in a very long time. Every athlete knows you're not allowed to do it. And I'll be curious what happens next. Because the NFL has the potential to make hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars off the sports betting industry over the next 20 to 30 years. And the sports betting industry has a chance to make hundreds of millions off the NFL. And so I don't know what's going to happen. I don't wish Calvin Ridley ill will. All I do know is that I do think the NFL is going to get pressure from some of their, their partners, those sports books that say like, look, you got to come down on this kid. We can't have people thinking that players are betting on their own games and they have inside information. And the NFL is probably going to have to listen because there was a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of money at stake for these, um, you know, for these, for these sports books. And for Calvin Ridley's sake, I think it was an honest mistake. $1,500, we all know, is not that much money. I think it was an honest mistake. And I do hope that he gets another chance to play in the NFL. But if the NFL makes an example out of him, I wouldn't be surprised by it either. Really quickly, one real quick college hoops topic, and then we will get to the conference tournament previews. And that topic is our old buddy Will Wade. So I was out on Tuesday. I was doing some stuff, going to do some fun stuff, probably going to do a Twitter spaces with my buddy, uh, Spread Investor, on whatever it, was, whatever it is, Wednesday morning. 
And I bring it up because probably going to work with Spread Invest. Probably going to do a little Twitter spaces. And I'm offline getting some stuff done with my phone. And I come back and I see this big, bold headline. LSU finally gets their notice of allegations, okay? And for people, you know, I think you probably remember, but one, the LSU situation I'm talking about is obviously Will Wade. Three, four, five years ago, strong-ass offer, caught on wiretap, all that stuff. And the notice of allegations is officially coming from uh, the report. The notice of allegations essentially is the official report from the NCA. This is what we believe that you did wrong, okay? And so I see the headline. I'm like, oh, man, this, this could be juicy. We finally, Will, five, six years, Will Wade, what's going on? All I'll say is this. The story that came out about Will Wade is nothing, okay? Um, I'm calling out everybody. Just called out Emmanuel Acho, who I'm sure is a very nice guy. He strikes me as a very nice guy. Let me call out Pat Forty. Like, I don't know what Pat Forty's deal is with LSU, with Will Wade, with whatever. But, like, he just made a story up out of nowhere. First of all, LSU didn't even confirm that they got the document. All Pat Forty was saying was that they got the document. And then on top of that, how about this? He didn't say what was in the document. So, oh, there could be major infractions. Yeah, there could be nothing. It's not a story unless you know what's in the document. Like, what Pat Forty did and what the media who followed the story did was, they basically, this is the equivalent. It would be like me putting out an article and saying, SMU football is going to be hit with crippling sanctions. Or SMU football with a football controversy you won't believe. And then I literally just regurgitate what happened in 1986. That's basically what happened with Pat Forty on Tuesday. Puts out a story. There's no new information. He quotes the same stupid documentary that came out during the pandemic in 2020. There's nothing there. And so, look, at some point, we're going to have to talk Will Wade. Because I don't know if he's going to survive this. You guys ask me, how does he still have a job? There's nothing on him right now that we know of. Now, that could change in a week. That could change in a day. The notice of allegations could become public tomorrow. But as I record right now, there's nothing. So, dumb story, uninteresting story. But many of you have asked. I felt obligated to talk about it. But now let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to a little conference tournament previews. I'll be back to talk about all that. I'm going to take a quick break. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears. I do want to talk a little college hoops. First of all, I will say this. That Calvin Ridley segment was bonkers. I, yeah, like, like Sometimes I do a segment and I come out feeling like, okay, I could have done better. I missed this. I should have done that. I should have said this. I should have said that. That Calvin Ridley segment was bananas. I just don't get it. I, I, I just, you know, I, I want to move off of it. I want to talk college hoops, but like, like, you literally have one rule. Just don't bet on the NFL games. Spend your money on literally anything else. Cars, uh, women, uh, buy an exotic cat. I, you could do anything. You can go bowling. You can, you can even bet on other sports. You just can't bet on the NFL, and this guy bet on the NFL. What are you doing, Calvin Ridley? All right, it's time to switch gears. And what I would say is this. As I record here, it's late Tuesday night. And it's champ week. And if you followed me at all for a long time, I've had a very controversial opinion on champ week versus the first week of the NCAA tournament. For most people, most people in the media, they'll say, oh, the best day of the sports calendar. The first day of the NCAA tournament. The best week of the sports calendar. The first week of March Madness. And to be clear, I love both of them. This is not an anti-March Madness rant. There are a lot of things to be upset about in this world. March Madness ain't one of them. It's going to be great this year. But I have argued forever that my favorite week of the year 
in sports, which obviously in turn means in college basketball as well, is this week right here. It's champ week. It's the week where we get all the best teams playing three, four, five times, playing in their conferences against teams that know each other in games that have almost as much meaning. I won't say as much, but basically from Tuesday to Saturday, you get games all day up until past midnight Eastern. And then Sunday, you get a bracket at the end of it. And you get good games between teams that know each other. So just think about, like, let me just use the SEC really quick. We could have a scenario where Arkansas and Auburn play on Saturday and Tennessee and Kentucky play on Saturday in the semifinals, okay? And I bring that up. We'll, we'll preview each conference in a minute. But I bring that up because to, because then if those teams, whoever wins those games, if we get those four teams in the semis, they then have to play another game the next day to win the conference championship. And so rather than getting, say, Kentucky or Auburn against the 16 seed and then an 8 seed next week, we get Kentucky against Tennessee, Auburn against Arkansas, and then the winners got to play each other. And that's after they've already played a game. So I love conference championship week. I love the wall-to-wall nature of it. It never stops. No time to react. Don't know when I'm going to have time to do a podcast, by the way, at the end of the week. But what I want to do now is switch gears. This is my favorite week of the year. And I want to go kind of conference by conference and just talk about all of these conference tournaments, when they start, and really what are the storylines, right? Like, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on each conference, but what I will do is take a step back, tell you what is the big storyline going into every conference tournament this week, what are the bubble teams, what are the scenarios, is there anybody in line for a number one seed, a number two seed, whatever, and then we'll get out of here. But I think it's a fun segment, it's one of my favorite segments to do over the course of the entire calendar year, it is the full conference by conference tournament preview, let's get into it. Now let's start with the ACC. The ACC tournament has technically already started as I record here on Tuesday night. Boston College smacked Pitt as of right now. Jeff Capel still the Pitt head coach. After that, Clemson beat NC State as of right now. My boy Kevin Keats is still the NC State head coach. And then Louisville took care of Georgia Tech late in the evening. But it really gets underway on Wednesday. And then the big boys, the Dukes, the Notre Dames this year, the North Carolinas, they play on Thursday, okay? And so in terms of the really big storylines in the ACC, what I would say is this. Duke is clearly the best team. Duke is clearly the team that is best equipped to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. My question for the ACC is this. Is there another team somewhere in this bracket that goes on a run and emerges and becomes a team that we sit there and say, whoa, 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 wait a second now. We thought it was only Duke? Well, what about this team? Could this team be an Elite elite 8 team? Could this team be a Sweet 16 team? Could this team even make a Final Four? Now, I don't know what's going to happen because the ACC's been awful all season long, but I don't think it's inconceivable either, but I don't think it's going to come where you think it's going to come from. I think everybody would be kind of under the assumption that if anybody besides Duke was going to make a run and really establish themselves in this conference tournament, probably North Carolina, and for good reason. North Carolina is the second most talented roster in, in this conference. North Carolina is a team that I had in the preseason top 15 because I believe they were, in fact, a threat in, in uh, November and December to make a Final Four. Then the season got played. Then they did nothing. They were 12-6, and six, and then they went on a run late, and they beat Duke on Saturday. And so I think what I would say is, is that I think everybody thinks that North Carolina is the team, but I really don't see it, and here's why. It's because of what I talked about on Monday's show. Is North Carolina really this drastically improved team over the course of the last few weeks? Or did they just beat some kind of bad teams? And it, they weren't even impressive in doing it. So before Duke, you know what, what happened before that? Uh, they beat Syracuse in overtime. And they beat NC State, which finished 15th in this league, 
by 10. And they beat Louisville by 7. And they beat Virginia Tech by 8. So beating Virginia Tech by 8, beating NC State by 10, beating Syracuse in overtime, that doesn't exactly make me feel like they are all of a sudden completely turned a corner the way that, I don't know, say Arkansas turned a corner when they beat uh, you know, Auburn and Kentucky and Tennessee over the course of like a two or three week stretch. So I don't buy North Carolina. I would say if there was a team that I believe could potentially make a run, it's probably going to come out of the four or five bracket. The five seed is Wake Forest. Wake Forest has been awesome all year. They're actually playing on Wednesday afternoon at about 2.30 Eastern. So by the time you listen to this, it's possible that they could be out of the conference tournament. But Wake Forest will play in the five game, five twelve game. They will play Boston College, and then on top of that, they will get Miami in the next round. Miami's kind of a, a fun, dynamic team. They got a kid named Isaiah Wong who makes plays. Really, just solid team, good guard play, whatever. And I could see one of those two teams advancing to play Duke in the semifinals on Friday night and upsetting Duke. And if that happens, then all of a sudden you got to talk about Wake. You got to talk about Miami as a potential second weekend team. In terms of the bubble picture in the ACC, not a ton really. Virginia Tech uh, is in Joe Lenardi's last four out, first four out, excuse me. So Virginia Tech, who really did nothing super special all year, 19 and 12, 11 and 9 in the ACC, they will open playing on Wednesday against Clemson, a game I just mentioned, Clemson beat NC State. And then if they were to win, uh, you know, they still have some work to do. I think they need at least two wins in this bracket. This is now uh, Virginia Tech that I'm talking about. They need at least two wins in this bracket, and then Virginia is actually in the next four out. And listen, you never count out Virginia, but Virginia right now as I record here, four and four in their last two games. Virginia opens up ACC tournament play on Wednesday as well. They will face Louisville after Louisville took care of business. They just beat Louisville by 10 on the final game of the regular season. Um, and so when I look at this game, I just see, when I look at this bracket, I just see the scenario where I just don't see that team. Virginia Tech, I think, needs to win at least two games just to be on the right side of the bubble, and then they would still need help. I think Virginia needs to win at least two games just to get into the real bubble conversation, and then they obviously need help along the way. But that's what you need to know about the ACC. I think the big story there is anybody outside of Duke going to emerge as a legit title contender. Let's get to the Big East. Big East, first of all, the best story about the Big East is this. Of every conference tournament, I think the Big East probably has the best crowd on a year-by-year basis. And I know many of you go to the SEC tournament in Nashville. Nashville is generally a great spot. We'll see about Tampa this year. I know the Big Ten always has great crowds in Indy and Chicago, wherever they are. The Big East, Madison Square Garden, always freaking delivers, okay? And it's going to be that much better this week because of the fact that UConn is officially back in the Big East And not only are they back in the Big East, but fans are allowed back in the stands. I will tell you, UConn fans are treating this like Mardi Gras. They're treating it like UConn's in the Final Four. In the same way that Kentucky fans, they plan their whole year around going to Nashville for the SEC tournament. And again, I know this year it's in uh, Tampa. UConn fans have been planning for the return to the Garden for the Big East tournament for years now. And I am just telling you, I know at least half a dozen UConn fans myself who are going this week. Forget people that I don't know, forget boosters, forget alums, forget people that live in New York City. I'm telling you, I know at least a half a dozen people. So if I personally know a half a dozen people, it means that place is going to be a zoo. UConn will open late with the late game on Thursday night. Most assume it'll be against Seton Hall, who opens up against Georgetown. Now, in terms of the biggest story in the Big East, what I would say is really five teams have basically clinched their bids, and I think the sixth team has two. 
Providence, Villanova, UConn, Marquette, Seton Hall. And I think Creighton is on the right side of the bubble. Creighton, five quad one wins. They're in Joe Lenardi's next four in, so they wouldn't even be in a playing game. In theory, if Creighton lost their opener, which is against Marquette on Thursday, yes, I could see the scenario where Creighton is sweating come Selection Sunday. But Creighton has five quad one wins. That's more than most teams on the bubble. I believe that they're in. They also have a season sweep of UConn. They beat Villanova at home. And I think those three wins, two wins over Villanova, one, two wins over UConn, one win over Villanova is enough to get it. The interesting story in the Big East, however, is that other bubble team. And that other bubble team is Xavier. And let me just tell you this about Xavier. Uh, Xavier, not very good down the stretch. Xavier, as of like literally uh, a few weeks ago, was not only safely in the tournament, they were in the top 25 and then they have completely fallen apart since then. And really, this is a microcosm of the entire situation with Travis Steele. Travis Steele is their head coach. He replaced Chris Mack. Crazy stat on Travis Steele, okay? So Xavier had never finished below 500 as a basketball program in the prior 37 years prior to Travis Steele's arrival. And I know some of it they were playing in the A-10 and they were playing in small conferences, whatever whether it was Thad Motto, whether it was Sean Miller, whether it was Chris Mack, this program was rolling. Remember, Chris Mack's final year, they were, the, they were a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Chris Mack leaves. His longtime assistant, Travis Steele, takes over. Here is what Travis Steele has proceeded to do as the head coach at Xavier. First of all, I mentioned 37 straight seasons with a winning record in conference play. They have yet to, win, uh, they have yet to finish above 500 in the conference since Travis Steele took over. 19 and 16, 9 and 9 in the Big East in year one. 19 and 13, 8 and 10 in the Big East in year two. 13 and 8 last year, 6 and 7 during COVID. 17 and 11 with a 7 and 10 record in the Big East. 30 and 33 in the Big East. Here's the concern for Xavier, though. Xavier, at one point, as I said, was not only comfortably in the tournament, they were in the top 25, they were in the top 15 nationally at some points in this year. At one point in the season, they were 16 and 5. And for, since then, they have gone just four and nine and two and seven in their last nine. So 16 and five, and then four and nine in their last 13 games, including two and seven in their last nine. That includes a loss to DePaul and two losses to St. John's, which aren't very good. So that is all a very long winded setup for me to say that Xavier absolutely has to beat Butler in their opener. That's Wednesday night at Madison Square Garden. It's going to be on TV FS1. This is, you talk about probably the most important game that's going to be played on Wednesday. If Xavier loses this, Xavier right now went from top 10, probably a 4-5-6 seed, to now they are in Joe Lenardi's last four out, okay? If they do not win this game, there is a very good chance that they are not making the NCAA tournament. And even if they beat Butler, it's a good enough win that probably puts them on the right side of the bubble. But they probably really need to beat Providence in the quarterfinals to actually do some damage and actually be 100% into the NCAA tournament. If they miss the NCAA tournament, I'll say this. I think it's going to be hard to bring back this guy, Travis Steele. I don't root against anybody. But I was told in the fall there was 0% chance that he could lose his job. If he has another collapse, a fourth straight season under 500, I just don't know how it gets pretty. By the way, I'm going to do... I'm gonna do Predictions on the conferences. I forgot to do it. ACC, give me Duke over Notre Dame. I don't think there's any like crazy upsets in the ACC. Big East, I'll say this. As far as the bracket shakes out, Providence will play the winner of Creighton Marquette. 
and then UConn and Nova are on the other side. I'll say this for UConn, okay? Love my Huskies, love UConn. I do worry a little bit about them. They do have a tendency to get up really big leads in the first, to get up really big in the first half and then blow a lead. They were up like 16, 19 points at half against DePaul the other day. It was a four-point game with four minutes to go. And what I would say is they actually get Seton Hall in the quarterfinals. Uh, Seton Hall can give them trouble, man. Seton Hall can give them trouble. I would not be surprised if UConn gets upset on round one, in, on night one in the quarterfinals. I'm not rooting for it. But I will say this. I think we do get a Villanova champion in this thing. I'm going to throw a little curveball at you. I love Providence. I'm a Providence defender. Marquette has given them fits this year. Marquette in the quarterfinals. Marquette or Marquette in the semifinals. Marquette, they play fast. They force a lot of turnovers. They get Providence out of their comfort zone. They beat Providence at home. They barely, barely, barely lost on the road. Give me Villanova over Marquette in the Big East. Let's get this bad boy moving. Also Wednesday to Saturday, the Big 12. So what's the big question in the Big 12? Well, the big question in the Big 12 is pretty straightforward. There's really no bubble teams to speak of. The Big 12 is kind of one of the more straightforward brackets out here this week. Uh, there's only nine teams coming because there's 10 teams in the Big 12, but Oklahoma State is not eligible for the postseason this year. That's an ongoing thing from the FBI. They're not eligible. So nine teams are showing up, okay? Of them, six are very comfortably in. That would be Baylor, Kansas, Texas, Texas Tech, Iowa State, TCU. Two are definitively needing to win the conference tournament to get into the NCAA tournament, West Virginia and Kansas State. The only one that's even a fringe bubble team is Oklahoma, Porter Mosier. You're one, they're 17 and 14. I think they probably have to make the final just to be on the bubble. And if they make the final, just go ahead and win it there. So no real bubble talk in the Big 12. I think the interesting thing to me about the Big 12 is, is there really a, like, like, is there a national title contender in the Big 12, right? Because ESPN tries to shove, uh, you know, uh, they try to shove the Big 12 down and throw, oh, it's the best conference in college basketball, it's this, it's that. Well, guess what? The SEC beat him 6-4 to four in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. The Big East Big 12, Big 12 Challenge, I believe, was 5-5 to five or 6-4 to four in favor of the Big East. So, like, why are we so positive that the Big 12 is that awesome? Not going to have the most bids, that's going to be the Big 10. Don't have the most Final Four national championship contenders. That's the SEC. Don't have the best top whatever. I'd argue the Big East player, you know, school for school is as good at the top five, top six. So what does the Big 12 have? They have a Kansas team that has gone two and two over their last four games. The two wins by four at home over TCU and in overtime against Texas, not buying them. Baylor, They've been really good all year, but man, this team just cannot catch a break with injuries. I've said it before, seven of their top nine players have missed multiple games with injuries. They just can't get consistent. Um, and then you look at the rest of the conference. Texas, I'm out on Texas. Just, I could not, it, it make me sick to my stomach thinking about Texas. Texas Tech, play really good defense. Can they score enough? One of their star players, Kevin McCuller, can never stay healthy. Iowa State, TCU, good stories. I cannot see the scenario where any of these teams make a deep tournament run. In terms of the tournament itself, you know, I did like TCU as kind of a dark horse. They've been playing well. They just beat Kansas at home a few days ago. They almost beat Kansas on the road a few days after that. The problem with TCU is they have a really tough draw. They will play, they will open the Big 12 tournament against Texas uh, on, uh, Texas on, I guess it would be Thursday. So there's, there's very few games in this tournament on Wednesday, there's just a, a, a one single game, I believe, and then the everything ratchets up on Thursday. But they would have to beat Texas, and then from there they would have to go through Kansas, 
And then from there, they would get the winner of Baylor versus Texas Tech. And so to me, I think TCU is a good story. They're probably, if I'm looking for a little bit of a long shot, that's cool. But at the same time, I just don't see the scenario where they have enough to win those three games. They'd have to beat Texas, Kansas, and then probably Baylor versus Texas Tech. In terms of this bracket, I would say give me Baylor. I think Baylor on a neutral. Do I want Baylor? Baylor would have to go through Texas Tech and Kansas. Give me Kansas. Kansas over Baylor. Um, I think Baylor is the better team. But Baylor is going to have the much tougher path than Kansas is. And so I do believe that Kansas is the team to beat in this conference. Let's keep rolling, Paybo. Uh, let's go a little off the radar here. We went big, We went ACC, Big 12, Big, uh, big, big East, Big 12. How about we go to the Mountain West? Because I, listen, guys and girls, I have a confession to make, okay? All of us are into certain different weird things. Some people like, I like Mountain West basketball. And I watch a lot of Mountain West basketball. And if you haven't been watching, the Mountain West has awesome teams this year. Like, I think the Mountain West has three teams that are definitely in the tournament, one team that is one win away from the tournament, from the NCAA tournament. And they, I think it's really possible that they get a fifth team in the NCAA tournament this year, all from the Mountain West. Okay, so really quickly, I'll just be very brief on this. But Boise, Colorado State, and San Diego State are all in. Could, could show up, lose their first game by 100, they're still in the, in the NCAA tournament. Wyoming is an interesting one. Wyoming is a team that I think is uniquely actually built to have tournament success, NCAA tournament success. Um, They are currently in Joe Lenardi's last four in as we speak here. And what's interesting about Wyoming is I I do kind of believe that Wyoming's deal is pretty straightforward. More than winning a bunch of games, what I think they have to do is avoid taking a really bad loss in this conference tournament and I don't think there is really a bad conference loss to take. Now, the problem is they do have to play UNLV. The game is on UNLV's home court, and they just lost at UNLV a few days ago. So if you're looking for a potential, if you're a fan of a bubble team, you're rooting for UNLV in this one. And I'll say this, UNLV is really tough. Just beat Wyoming, season sweep of Colorado State. And so if they get those four, right, the, the, the Boise, Colorado State, San Diego State, and Wyoming, the question then becomes, is there a fifth team that can sneak in? Is it UNLV? Is it Utah State, who's been in the NCAA tournament three years in a row, but they're obviously under a new coaching staff now? I'll tell you this, Fresno has a guy named Orlando Robinson, played high school about 15 minutes from where I'm living right now. Really talented player. I think he could be drafted this year. I think he could enter the portal and immediately be one of the, the most hotly contested names in the portal. Um, but I, that's the thing with the Mountain West. Three teams are in, one team needs one other win. And then the question becomes, can somebody from this conference steal a bid? I am very, very fascinated by the Mountain West. Let's keep the party going. Uh, We'll be quick on this one. The Pac-12, not really much to talk about with the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is kind of like the the Big 12, only way worse. And why I say it's like the Big 12, there's really no drama with bubble this, bubble that. Arizona, UCLA, USC are all definitively in. They've basically been in the top 25 all year. All three are really good teams. All three could be playing on the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. After that, eh, it's a little bit of slim pickings, right? Last year, we had four teams in the Sweet 16 from the Pac-12. I don't think we're going to get four teams in general this year. The only team that's even kind of on the fringes of the bubble is Oregon, who fell apart down the stretch, lost four of their last five. Oregon, I believe, would need to win at least two games just to even be on the bubble. At that point, they'd very likely be playing Arizona in the conference semifinals. Obviously, if you beat Arizona, that changes the dynamic of your resume. So not a ton there. And by the way, I don't think Oregon's going to do that, so I don't think we really have to worry about that. Uh, But to me, I guess the more interesting story in this one would just be Arizona. 
I believe they're 1 or 1A with Kentucky when healthy. I've said that on this podcast. That's not some big top secret. And I think what's interesting about them is this, is that one, is it, it does anything, basically, if they were to lose in this conference tournament, does anything happen to them, right? Like that to me is the single most interesting element of this conference tournament. I don't believe that even if they lose in the conference tournament, they can fall off of the one line. I guess in theory, if like Auburn were to have an amazing run, beat Arkansas, beat Kentucky, that probably solidifies a spot for them. Obviously, if Baylor and Kansas both make like like it would take basically Auburn versus Kentucky, Baylor versus Kansas. I I don't see the scenario where it happens, but that's really the only storyline I can think of. Does UCLA get so hot that all of a sudden we're saying, oh, wait a second now, they could make a Final Four? Same with USC. I do not know, but I'm just bringing up to say (laughs) there's not a lot of meat on the Pac-12 bone. Let's quickly wrap up here. A couple more conferences. First of all, Big Ten uh, Wednesday through Sunday. Really bad teams playing today. Then some of the decent teams get in tomorrow on Thursday. And then the big boys, Purdue, Wisconsin, and Illinois play on Friday in their opening tournament obviously this will be the final game leading into the bracket show on Sunday and what I would say is uh, there is some, this is one of the few conferences there's actually some some bubble stuff that's interesting okay so first of all Michigan and Indiana my boy Mike Effin Woodson season is on the line here and here's the bottom line Michigan is in Joe Lenardi's next four in Indiana is in the first four out this kind of feels like uh you lose this game you're really sweating going into Selection Sunday. Now, if Michigan wins, I think they're in, it's done. You don't have to beat Illinois in the semifinals on Saturday. On the other side, if Indiana wins, I don't think it necessarily punches a ticket for them. Now, it adds a very significant win to their resume. I don't know that it's still enough. They'd probably have to beat Illinois on Saturday afternoon. Good luck with that, Indiana, (laughs) if they were to pull it off. But to me, or I guess it would be Friday afternoon, excuse me, but to me, I got to sit there and say, I don't see the scenario where Indiana even beats Michigan, let alone Illinois. So if Indiana loses this game, no NCAA tournament for them, more pain, more suffering. I actually feel bad for Indiana fans at this point. The other bubble team in this conference, by the way, really interesting story is Rutgers, okay? So Rutgers took some really, really bad losses early, and they made they had some really, really great wins in the conference tournament, including against Illinois at home, including against uh, Purdue at home. And what's so interesting about Rutgers is this. They are one of the top four seeds, which means they get a double bye into the second day of the tournament. They don't have to play until Friday. They also, and I think this is really interesting, is they're on Joe Lenardi's last four in. In other words, they haven't clinched an NCAA tournament bid yet. So when I look at this tournament, that is, you know, along with the Michigan-Indiana game, that is probably the single most interesting thing to me about this bracket individually, is what happens when it comes to Rutgers, and do they do enough to go ahead and clinch an NCAA tournament bid? And it's not as though they have, like, a super easy path here either. Um you know, they are the number four seed. They could get Iowa in the second round. Iowa's a really good team. I actually like, I think Iowa's better built to make a deep NCAA tournament run this year than they were with Luca Garza last year, the year before. So Rutgers probably needs a win over Iowa to clinch a spot. If they if they win that, I have to imagine they're in. If they don't, they are going to be sweating. I would suspect that they still get into the final, to the first four, excuse me. But Rutgers in the Big Ten is the big story there. In terms of the bracket, you know, none of these teams like super move the needle for me. 
I think what's tough to predict a winner in this one is Johnny Davis, the Wisconsin guard, left the game on Saturday, on Sunday against Nebraska. Is he going to be back to 100%? What does it mean for Wisconsin? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I'll go Purdue, Illinois in the final. I'll go Purdue in the title for the title. Purdue is just a bad matchup for Illinois. They played twice this year. I watched twice. They destroyed Illinois. Purdue is my Big Ten tournament preview expectation. Really quickly, two more conferences to get to. First of all, how about the AAC, Penny Hardaway? This conference is pretty straightforward. Houston, in. SMU, first four in in basically every bracket that you look at. They need to win their opener. If they win their opener, they become interesting. If they win their opener, by the way, you know who they play in the semis? They play Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers. They're the story here. Look, Memphis is the story. First of all, Memphis opens with the winner of Central Florida, South Florida. Memphis, for the love of God. Just win that game so we don't have to debate whether you make the tournament or not. But if you make the tournament, I'll say this. I think Memphis is a scary team. I obviously did the the whole segment on, I guess it was Monday's show. Memphis, if they make the tournament, I am just warning you, is a terrifying team to see in your bracket. They're big. They're athletic. They're experienced. Their best player, DeAndre Williams, is 26 years old. Jalen Duran's a lottery pick. They play real defense. The offense has gotten much better. That's what's interesting to me in the AAC. And then finally, we'll wrap. SEC. I mean, first of all, from the bubble perspective, I will say there's another interesting bubble game in this one. Uh, Texas A&M and Florida are both in Joe Lenardi's next four out, which means they probably have to win at least one game and then probably uh, potentially a second game. Here's the problem. They play each other in the first game. First game on Thursday. Number eight, Florida. Number nine, Texas A&M. Loser. Season's done as far as NCAA tournament's concerned. Winner? Here's the fun part. You get to play Auburn on, uh, on, on Friday. So, yeah, good luck with that. To me, look, we know what the story is. First of all, by the way, RIP Tom Crean. We got the report. When, when Tom Crean officially gets fired, we'll talk about it. It may be by the time the next episode drops. Obviously, Georgia plays Wednesday. I suspect they'll lose. If they lose, I suspect that come Friday we will have a Georgia segment to do. But I bring it up because outside of that, the single most interesting story, we know what it is. We know what it is. It's those top four teams. Do they all get to the semis and what happens from there? Auburn's the one seed. Kentucky's the two seed. Tennessee's the three seed. Arkansas's the four seed. And why this tournament to me is maybe the most interesting, those top four teams, you guys are all fans. Kentucky fans, Arkansas fans, Tennessee fans, Auburn fans. All four of those fan bases think they're going to the final four. (laughs) By the way, maybe they do. Who knows? But why I bring it up is because I believe that if all four of those teams advance to Saturday's semifinals, that is going to have a Final Four-type atmosphere in Tampa. If you even go back to last year, think about how few fans were allowed in the stands, and think about the fact that we got Alabama LSU, okay, in the semis. Alabama LSU, and I remember Bridgestone Arena being crazy. I remember Nate Oates pulling down the mask and screaming after he took down LSU. So you think about how it was last year, and then you think about, you know, 18,000 Kentucky fans or 18,000 Arkansas fans or a lot of Tennessee fans, Auburn fans in that building – I think it's going to be crazy. In terms of who I think will win, I'll be blunt. I think it's Kentucky. I think we get Kentucky over Auburn for this reason. I think Auburn is a bad matchup for Arkansas in that semi. Love Arkansas. Woo pig suey. Big pig invasion. But the bottom line is Arkansas at home needed overtime to beat Auburn without Zeb Jasper, who's now back. So I like Auburn to win that game. And then I like Kentucky. And like with Kentucky, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I've said it for three weeks. I think when they're healthy, they're the single best team in college basketball. Right now, today, we'll see if these guys stay healthy over the course of the next three games. 
because these guys really haven't been able to stay healthy. But if they're healthy, I think Kentucky and Arizona are the two best teams in college basketball. So give me Kentucky over Auburn in the SEC title game. Uh, and again, across the rest of college basketball, I didn't even give an AAC winner. Let's just say Memphis for the sake of it. I will have Purdue over Illinois in the Big Ten. I have Arizona over USC in the Pac-12. I didn't pick a winner in the, in the Mountain West because who cares? Not that who cares, but I'm just not picking one. I have Kansas over Baylor in, in the Big 12. I have Pro, I have Villanova over Marquette in the Big East. And finally, ACC, I have Duke over Notre Dame. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I think it's time for me to get out of here. I have done enough yelling and screaming for one day, and I am exhausted. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Make sure, on top of that, bracketfanatics.com. I told you, this, this, this website's incredible. You sign up. You set up your pool. You invite friends. It's so easy. They pay on the site if you're taking money for your, for your pool. And then they pay when you're done. You just set up the, the price range. So, you know, first prize gets 50% of the pool. Boom, done. Sent to them that day, the day the tournament ends. Super easy. You can bet against friends. Bracketfanatics.com. You set up your own pool there, and then make sure to sign up for the Aaron Torres pod pool as well. With that said, I think I'm going to get out of here. Quick thank you guys for listening. Quick thank you to our partners, Bracket Fanatics, and it is time to go. With that said, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I will be back on Friday. I think we'll probably be talking Georgia basketball. (laughs) We'll also be talking about whatever's going on in these conference tournaments. I will be back, party people. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.